our lovely, wonderful tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorists, we are back. And we are still just as distrustful of our American government as ever, sadly. Now, before we get started, I'm going to ask you, how was your week, Aaron? Uh, it, it was... I feel like the world's coming to, like, the first episode of The Walking Dead, where, okay. like, there's just nothing. Well, at least Walking Dead had zombies. That's true. We don't even have that. I know, right? I'm How not complaining. Boring. I mean, yeah, it's boring, but at the same time, it's like I was born for this. I mean, I've got all the books, all the books that I want right now, except for, like, one or two in this house. I've got plenty of blankets and pillows, lots of coffee, and tea, and, like, I'm good video games. That's more your thing, but yeah, video games too, because we're going to start playing together. Yeah. Oh, like couples should. I'm kidding. I'm really not good at video games, but it will make up for lack of D&D in our lives, I guess. And day 100,000 of Quarantine. Yeah. No, it's like day... 239 of March. We haven't even uh, entered April yet. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, the last time that we, or we, I, at Crime and Theory had a conspiracy theory episode, I covered the assassination of JFK, and there was, you know, just me. So there's that. And this week, we're sticking to the same decade and the same country, because why not? So, welcome back. And if you're here for the first time, welcome to Crime and Theory, a podcast dedicated to everything outside the parameters of normal. We are your hosts, Ashley and Erin. And we're on episode 12, and you know what that means? We're on episode 12. That, and we're one episode away from episode 13, which is going to be special, and I'm excited. Oh, yeah. I, I know what's going on. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm excited for it. about it too if i had been smart i would have started this podcast early enough to a point where i could have figured out okay i need to put this out on fridays and then lined it up where our 13th episode would be a friday the 13th but i didn't think that far through it's fine it's fine let's get back to episode 12 yeah so this week we're traveling back to 1968 and when this episode releases We will have actually passed the 52nd anniversary of this icon's passing on April 4th. And we're actually recording on April 3rd, so tomorrow for us is the passing. The anniversary of his passing, sorry. This week, we're talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s death and the conspiracy theory that the King family still believes to this day. Let's get started. So we got our information from history.com, biography.com, verdict.co.uk, vault.fbi.gov, and, well, YouTube. But no Wikipedia this week. (laughs) Because we're real researchers. No, we're not. We're really not. Well, we'll go back to Wiki at some point. Well, I mean, we can use Wikipedia for, you know, cryptids and ghosts. Because... They're not completely proven. But when somebody actually does die, like, I want to do the research that it takes because these people deserve our respect and they deserve to have 100% fact put out there instead of 
fake news, if you will. Yeah. All right. In this episode, we are going to be talking real quick. Why did I sound like I was from the North? Episode? No, I'm like Minnesotan. Is it Minnesotan? Is that how you say it? Minnesotian? I forget it. Episode, we're going to talk mostly about the King family, James Earl Ray, and the United States government. But, of course, at the center of all of this is Dr. King himself. So before we really dive into it, let's first look at Dr. King and what made him such an American icon. You good with that, Aaron? Totally good with that. Alright. Let's get educated. Okay. Michael King Jr. was born on January 15th, 1929, so that's why we celebrate Martin Luther King Day on January 15th. That makes sense. 100%. His father, Michael Sr., was a pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, where he adopted the name of Martin Luther King in order to honor the German Protestant leader. Michael Jr. would grow up to follow in his father's footsteps, not only as a leader of a church, but in name as well. He began his college education at the age of 15, which blows my mind. Not that I thought that he would just be an average person, because clearly Dr. King was wise beyond his years, but I just feel so inadequate. Because, like, I thought 15. I was accomplishing, I know, I thought I was accomplishing something graduating at 17 slash a semester early from high school. Only 17 because of when my birth falls, when my birthday falls in the whatever you call it bracket of there you go thank you for the word <laughs> the cutoff yeah. the cutoff is what they call it okay now we had lunch and i feel like my brain's shutting down because it wants to take a nap forget it it's fine that just the way it's always the way and also king grew up to become one of the most prominent and influential activists in the civil rights movement between the years of 1955 and 1968 and keeping with his Christian beliefs and an admiration for Gandhi, he fought for equality not with violence, but with wisdom and courage. In 1963, King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial, and the following year became the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. And if you've never listened to the I Have a Dream speech in its entirety, you can find it on YouTube, or you can find some kind of transcripted version of it Somewhere out there, if you want to read it, that is. But I had never heard the entire thing before this past week. And honestly, even though this was the 1960s when the speech came out, I feel like it's still very relevant. Like, his dream is for us to be, for us all to be equals. No one superior than the next. And for us to all love our fellow man. And I think that that's a lovely thing to, a lovely dream to have. Definitely. Although King did use his influence to make great strides for equality and people of color, civil rights and preaching were not his only passions. So I did a little bit of digging, and I learned a couple more things that aren't usually the main focus of Dr. King and his accomplishments. In Hiroshima or Hiroshima or Hiroshima or however you say it, in Japan, they also recognized January 15th as Dr. King's birthday. Now, they don't celebrate it as a national holiday, obviously, but they do recognize it because he was also an anti-nuclear activist. And as we all know, Hiroshima is where the Americans dropped a nuclear bomb during World War II. Really? Yeah. I would have never thought about that, that he was into... Into anti-nuclear activism? Yeah. 
And here's a fun little fact, and I, it was not fun for Dr. King, and it's not really fun for us, but Dr. King was actually jailed a total of 29 times in his life. Jeez. And of course, this was his adult life. He wasn't jailed as a child or anything. So when you do the math, because he was only 39 when he passed away, or when he was assassinated, rather, that was multiple jailings in a year. Because, you know, racist bigots. Sometimes he was jailed for quote-unquote civil disobedience. He's the most peaceful man this country has probably ever known. But civil disobedience, okay. And also really dumb things like driving 30 miles an hour in a 25 zone. That's still kind of dumb even to this day. Oh, I agree. They were just trying to get him on anything they could because they were, well, racist bigots. Especially the FBI, which we will touch on later. Not all of them, of course, but the ones who decided to make it a point to follow him. It's a whole thing. Another thing that we kind of know about, but don't really talk about as much or think about at the forefront of our minds when we think of Dr. King, is that there was actually an assassination attempt almost a decade before that fateful day in April of 1968. On September 20th, 1958, so King was 29 years old, King was in Harlem signing copies of Stride Toward Freedom. I just want to stop right there. He was my age, and he was already releasing books, and he was an accomplished human being, and I still feel like a child. Okay, moving on. (laughs) So Stride Toward Freedom was his new book. And Isola, or Isola Ware Curry, approached King and was like, hey, are you that civil rights activist, Dr. King? He says yes. She pulls out a seven-inch letter opener and proceeds to stab him in the chest. Holy bananas, that's a long letter opener. I don't know how long letter openers usually are, but, I mean, seven-inch, yeah, that... Might as well classify that as a dagger at this point. Well, I mean, it was definitely classified as a deadly weapon because King was immediately rushed for emergency surgery. And when he came to, he was told by the doctors that if he had so much as sneezed, that he would not have survived. Whoa. The blade was literally sitting right beside the aorta. So if he had sneezed, that blade would have cut it and he would have bled out. But here's the cool thing. King was ever the pacifist, ever the loving human being. And he issued a statement that said he held no ill will or bad feelings toward the woman who attacked him. I mean, here's the thing. Regardless of what anyone's beliefs are, this is very close, closely following in the footsteps of Jesus because Jesus preaches, you know, forgiveness. And King literally almost died because a woman decided to stab him in the chest and he says, I forgive you. I think that's amazing. That That's real strength to me. The oh, ability definitely. to forgive something that intense. Yeah. And honestly, he was just genuinely and all around kind of an amazing human being. But here's the thing. He was still just a human being. So we're going to get into some things, mostly allegations, of course, that are going to shine a not-so-good light on Dr. King. And... Whether that sways your opinion of who he was as a person, keep in mind that these are just allegations. But if they do happen to be true, we don't have to approve or condone the bad things that he did in his life. But please don't let it take away from what he genuinely believed and stood for in wanting us all to come together as a human race. On April 3rd, 1968, 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his final speech ever. And this speech was almost an omen, honestly. While speaking at the Mason Temple in Memphis, Tennessee, he said, quote, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. End quote. And the next day, April 4th, Dr. King walked out onto the balcony outside his motel room and was killed by a sniper's bullet. He was 39 years of age. That is way too young. I agree. I mean, I'm not that far away from 39. I mean, you're 31. You've got a few years on you yet, but still. I mean, but it does go to show how short and how how short life is and how quickly it can end. Yeah. And this assassination triggered riots and demonstrations in over 100 cities across the United States. And honestly, I do not condone rioting for any reason. Like, it's just disrespectful to, you know, break in windows and loot and stuff, which is usually associated with rioting. But I wasn't there. I don't know about these riots. But these people were in grief. They probably had never even met Dr. King, the majority of them. I'm sure a few of them had. But he was such an icon. He was such a figurehead for equality and for wanting to bring people together and end segregation. And honestly, with his death, I'm sure people felt a loss of hope because he was making great strides. And now that he was gone, who was going to take over? So I can't say as I blame them. Absolutely not. And according to the FBI, the killer had fled from their vantage point slash temporary place of residence almost immediately. He kind of had to because the FBI was there in Memphis. Why? They were tracking King themselves. They really wanted to bring him down. Absolutely. And we're going to get into more detail as to how later, but let's talk about the person that was pegged for killing King. For two months, two entire months, the FBI was like right on his heels until they finally caught up to James Earl Ray in the London Heathrow Airport. So here's the thing. In his hurry to flee the area, Ray, or the killer, depending on your belief, was forced to drop the bundle he was carrying. And during the investigation, the authorities were literally pointed to the bundle and what they found inside made the case as cut and dry as humanly possible as far as they were concerned. And what they found was a pair of binoculars, a newspaper with an article talking about the motel where King was staying, and a 30-odd-6 Remington Game Master. I think it's called 30-odd-6. I'm not sure because, honestly, I don't know guns. It's just not my thing. That sounds about right. I watched a video and that's how the guy said it, but I don't know. And this game master had recently fired off exactly one shot. And all three of these items, just to kind of put the nail in the coffin here, all three items had fingerprints of James Earl Ray. The FBI had traced where the shot came from to a rooming house, and I don't know what that is, I'm guessing it's a more temporary version of a boarding house, across the street from King's Motel. And... I mean, pretty much everything just fit together like a nice, neat little puzzle. Almost too nice. Honestly, I agree with 
how you just said that, it feels like it's just too convenient. And it could go either way because we'll get into Ray's criminal background, which will indicate, okay, maybe he really was that stupid and would have dropped a bundle containing his fingerprints all over the place. Or it feels very coincidental and could be a setup. The United States government, honestly, they still swear up and down that they were absolutely right to begin with and they had definitely caught the right man for this assassination. Because, I mean, why would our government lie to us? I know, right? They've never done that before. Also, I, I want to kind of make a disclaimer here. We're not anti-government or anything like that. We just don't Call it as we it. see it. There we go. Thank you. So, like I said, it took two months for them to find him. Ray never stayed in one place for too long. I mean, he was literally country hopping here. And to be honest, because of his criminal history, this method of how he evaded authorities was really out of the norm for him. He honestly didn't really seem that smart, I hate to say it, to have a legitimate plan to get away and not get caught. I'm guessing that maybe someone helped him if he indeed was the trigger man. That's what I, that's from what I've looked up, it's, that's what it sounds like, that someone must have helped this dude out because he's been caught way too many times to be considered smart enough to think This mastermind ahead. plan. Yeah. Right. So let's talk for a minute about who James Earl Ray was. Even if by the end of this, you guys conclude that Ray wasn't the shooter or working alone by the end of this episode, uh, he still wasn't a good man. I mean, I can't speak for the end of his life because I don't know. But at the time of King's death, he was not a decent human being. Not at all. James Ray was a huge follower slash fan of a man named George Wallace, for starters. And if you don't know who that is... George Wallace was a white segregationist and basically a white supremacist who gave the speech where he makes a point of, quote, segregation forever, end quote. So Ray was kind of a douche. I mean, clearly, because George Wallace was a mega douche. And he, meaning Ray, was also convicted four times for different criminal acts, like robbing a cafe, robbing a taxi, Robbing a post office and robbing a grocery store. Do you see a pattern here? He's a robber, not a killer. Now, that doesn't mean that he couldn't have turned into one. Right. I'm just saying his typical MO was stick him up and give me your money. And then book it. Right. He never actually killed anyone. And here's the crazy part. Ray, at the time of the shooting, was actually supposed to be serving a 20-year sentence at the Missouri State Penitentiary. But he pulled a disappearing act the year before and waltzed out of the prison like he had the choice. Don't make no sense. I don't think he was mentally stable. And that not saying that to take away from the severity or seriousness of mental health and mental illness, I'm genuinely saying I don't think that he was the most mentally stable human being. And it being the 1960s, they didn't understand that therapy and medication and a balance of the two can really help someone. Now, my question to you. Sure. Do you think he had gotten, do you think he got help to get 
out of prison? I honestly don't know. I think it's possible, for sure. Anything's possible. Right. But then again, Ted Bundy didn't have help getting out of prison. He just did it. But, I mean, that's Ted Bundy. Right, and he was much smarter and was much more cunning and charming than, say, James Earl Ray was. So, I don't know. It's possible that he had help. But if he had help escaping, that kind of makes me think maybe it was for the purpose of tracking down King. Oh, now things are getting interesting. I mean, that's just my personal theory. I don't have any evidence to back it up, but that could very well fit in with Ray's story that we will talk about here in just a minute. And to keep a long story short, too late, (laughs) Ray was captured at Heathrow Airport in London, like I said. He was able to flee the country thanks to a lax 1960s airport security. He had also taken a trip to Portugal during his time on the run. I mean, this guy was basically just kind of vacation, it seemed like. I know that he had bigger plans or thought he had bigger plans, but he's going to places like Portugal. I just feel like he was just leisurely living his life. And do you want to hear the crazy thing? They actually found Ray carrying not one, but two fake Canadian passports with aliases. Oh yeah, I remember seeing something about that in the documentary that I saw on YouTube. And the crazy thing to me is that he even, after being arrested, swore that he wasn't James Earl Ray. He swore he was whatever that fake name was. Yeah, it was a weird name. It's not a real name. (laughs) Now, there's obviously way more information about Ray's movements after the King assassination. And if you're curious as to know what he did exactly, feel free to look it up. But we really need to get to the conspiracy because that's the whole point of crime and theory, right? That's why you are here. That's why we're here. I mean, look at what we call ourselves. Crime and theory. Yeah. That's why we're all here. We have to live up to expectations. We're a family now. I feel like the end speech on Community, the first episode, where he's like, you're a community. (laughs) Ray wound up pleading guilty in 1969. And he was sentenced to 99 years in prison. Whoa. Why not just give him the... Death penalty? Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand how any of that works. I'm not well-versed in court procedures and how they decide whether or not to go for death penalty or if the state even offered it at that time. But... He wound up pulling another brief vanishing act before he was recaptured in 1977. Why did he think he had a choice? (laughs) Who told this man that, oh yeah, you can just leave, it's fine. (laughs) And Ray had confessed, like, right off the bat once he was arrested. So that should have been the end of it, right? You think? Well, a few days later, Ray kept talking about a man named Raul, and this man had totally set Ray up. I mean, yeah, Ray copped to having been staying at the rooming house, but he wasn't there at the time of the King assassination. But he also couldn't give a solid alibi. He said Raul had directed him to buy that gun, and that newspaper, and those binoculars, and to rent that room, but there were important parts of his story that he gave, and he couldn't manage to keep those parts straight. So every time he retold this tale to whoever was interviewing him, big important parts changed. Like he thought he was some author or something weaving together a story and he was like, nope, that's not right. That was a rough draft. I'll give you a better draft. 
A lot of inconsistencies. Right. Which, of course, makes him look even more guilty. So this still feels like a pretty cut-and-dry story. And, of course, that's the same conclusion that the feds drew up. They were like, hey, Raul is a made-up entity, and Ray was grasping at straws. But even so, Ray may not have worked alone. Like we said, let's look at Ray's crimes. All of them prior to the murder were just robbery charges. And he wasn't even good at that. He was already serving a 20-year sentence at a penitentiary because he kept getting caught. Oh, lousy robber. And honestly, these robberies were kind of small potatoes compared to taking the life of an icon. It's just... Honestly, it's pretty difficult to believe he was smart enough to orchestrate an international escape plan. An assassination. That too. Now, the entire country, if not the world, believed that Ray was the trigger man, and they had someone to put their hate and anguish and blame on. Well, all except someone by the name of Coretta Scott King. The rest of the King family apparently also believes Ray to be innocent, or at least did for a while. And maybe Coretta believed Ray was the culprit for a minute, but it wasn't long before she started to put the blame on the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover, who was the FBI head honcho at the time. At a press conference in 1999, the King Center quoted Coretta as having said, quote, there is abundant evidence of a major high-level conspiracy in the assassination of my husband, Martin Luther King Jr., end quote. And she held tight the, to this belief until 2006 when she passed away. So why did she believe this? Well, during the time of King's rise to influence, the Federal Bureau of Investigation surveilled and harassed King at any chance they got. They wiretapped his phone, they watched his every move, and these guys really got off on picking his life apart when he was at his lowest points. Allegedly, the FBI, or someone who worked for them, sent King a tape that contained audio of an affair King was having. Remember, he was human, affairs are not okay, but still doesn't take away from his moral stances, except for that one about marriage. And with this tape, there was a letter where the sender claimed to have had evidence of other affairs and threatened to go public with this quote-unquote evidence if King didn't kill himself. What? Wow. So, it was... They didn't threaten his life. They told him to kill himself. So, the, to me this sounds like a suicide blackmail? Kind of. Like, yeah, because you're blackmailing him into suicide. Yeah. And if this did get sent, whoever did send it was a garbage human. Because you don't do that to a person. I don't care if you agree with what they've done or not. You don't treat other people like trash. You don't treat them like their life is meaningless. And nowadays, that's bullying and harassment and highly illegal, but... I wasn't alive in 1968, or the 1960s, so I don't know. I don't know how the law handled things like that back then. Not that they would have handled it well anyway, because as you see, the FBI was chasing down Martin Luther King like it was so it a game. very well had been the FBI. It could have. I don't think the entire FBI was in on this one action, no. but... 
Just a select group. Or even an individual. But here's how bad that harassment was. Like, if you thought what I've said so far is bad. But uh, wait, there's more. A former FBI field office agent in Atlanta, Georgia, said the tracking of King was second, quote, only to the way they, meaning the FBI, went after Jimmy Hoffa, end quote. And I mean, the FBI was on it with Hoffa. And also, do you remember Jimmy from the JFK episode? See, just another way that it kind of ties together, a mention of Jimmy Hoffa in this one. America, things don't change. Uh, (laughs) So in 1975, a group of former FBI agents called on Congress to investigate the harassment of King. They wound up declassifying a bunch of memos that detailed the Bureau's abusive behavior but they did not uncover any evidence that the FBI had formally plotted his death. So that also means that the FBI, they found no evidence of whoever it was sending that package with his quote-unquote affair tape. But that's the thing. I mean, Sounds like a genuine cover-up to me. Well, that's what I was going to say. You don't have to put it down on paper to make it so. And all they did was read the paperwork. Yeah. And to further belief and raise innocence by the King family, a man by the name of Lloyd, I think it's pronounced Jowers, but I'm not sure, came out of the woodwork. I mean, this guy literally came out of left field here. (laughs) He owned the restaurant, which was below Ray's rental room in Memphis. Jowers did not claim involvement and remained hidden for 25 years after the King assassination. But when he did speak out, He shook everything up. He claimed to have been part of a conspiracy to kill King and that Ray was indeed the fall guy, as the King family had so deeply believed. Jowers said that the others involved in this conspiracy were Memphis police and a mafia member named, you guessed it, Raul. Remember Raul being mentioned by... Yeah. Right, yeah. This mysterious Raul. Right. And this all came about when in 1993, HBO conducted a televised mock trial about the assassination. In this mock trial, Ray gave his first public testimony and was found not guilty. What? But it was a mock trial. It didn't count for anything. So the King estate decided that they were going to sue Jowers in 1999, I think for like $100. It's not that they were going after the money itself. They didn't care about that. Yeah. It was the principle of the matter. But it was a wrongful death but it was a wrongful death suit. And this trial was held in Memphis over the course of 4 weeks. The jury listened to over 70 witnesses. But since there were no criminal charges, Jowers didn't have to show up, and he didn't. The estate was awarded the money when the jury concluded that King's assassination was in fact the result of a conspiracy involving Jowers. Coretta held a press conference the day after the verdict, and she said, quote, I wholeheartedly applaud the verdict of the jury, and I feel that justice has been well served in their deliberations. The jury was clearly convinced by the extensive evidence that was presented during the trial that, in addition to Mr. Jowers, the conspiracy of the mafia, local, state, and federal government agencies 
were deeply involved in the assassination of my husband, end quote. But of course, Jowers was never formally charged with anything. The Department of Justice investigated his claims, or at least that's what they said. And this investigation took place between the years of 1998 and 2000, so this was while we were alive. That's crazy to think all this was happening when we were so little. I know. They said the conspiracy claims were not credible. One piece of evidence that the Department of Justice looked into, or so they said, was a recording where Jowers suggested he wanted to make up a story about the whole ordeal in order to make money. But here's the thing. He didn't make money. He lost it. Yeah. And I'm sure if you guys keep up with current events, it's no surprise that in 2017, the FBI released documents on John Fitzgerald Kennedy. But the crazy part is that there was a 20-page document on Martin Luther King within the JFK files. Oh, yeah, I found, I found that in, in my little bit of research I did. Is that not crazy? That is insane. Now, I have a theory as to why they found it, and they haven't come out and said why it was there or anything. So my theory is that I think whoever was hunting down King and wanting to get rid of him literally physically tucked them away in the JFK files thinking because this is so top secret that it will never be uncovered. No one will ever know. That's just my theory, though. Not a bad idea. Thank you. Did you read what was in this 20-page document? Um, I want to say, let me pull up my notes. I think I actually wrote this down. (laughs) Okay, um, and I'm paraphrasing and i got this from a a youtube video from cnn um so basically j edgar hoover was obsessed with martin luther king jr uh wait did i just say j edgar hoover jr no no j edgar hoover was obsessed with martin luther king jr okay um there were secret documents were released with with the release of jfk files showing how far the FBI, the FBI went to discredit Martin Luther King. The file is titled Martin Luther King Jr. A Current Analysis, which was dated March 12, 1968, so 23 days before the assassination. Uh, so what does it contain? It contains allegations that Martin Luther King Jr. was involved in extramarital affairs and other sexual activities, pages of reports that his organization, the Southern Christian Conference, had ties to known communists, among other things. Yeah, like prominent communists in the, I guess, communist community. Is that a thing? Yeah. So, but these are all just allegations. Clearly nothing has ever been proven. And Coretta was not a woman who kept silent. She very much was outspoken about her belief in Martin Luther King's assassination being a conspiracy. So I don't take her as the kind of woman to sit meekly while her husband went and had an affair. And I think that if he did, she took care of it. I don't think there was a problem there. Oh, yeah. She seemed like a very strong and strong-willed and independent woman. And I think she was honestly one of the greatest people, too. Because a wife who stands by their spouse and while they do so much for the country and and even after his death even after his death yeah that's 
That's admirable. Yeah. get away with it because of the the time period right that um they were going to release him basically congratulate him as an american hero yeah you know what's funny is this is me tying it back to jfk of course but lee harvey oswald also was kind of in a world of he was kind of in a world of delusion thinking that like even when he came back from Russia he thought that everybody was going to congratulate him and think that he was some kind of celebrity so maybe I, this is just a theory but maybe because Os, like Oswald Ray was kind of weak minded and weak willed and was easily manipulated because I think that there were more people involved in the JFK assassination oh definitely perhaps Yes, they were the ones to pull the trigger, but I think definitely that there were more people involved. Whether it was the government or not, I genuinely believe there were more people involved than what we see on the surface. And I just think it's too coincidental. Not even a five-year difference between JFK and Martin Luther King, and you have two huge government agencies being accused of being behind the deaths of very prominent figures in American history, I think that's too coincidental. Yeah, because from what, if I remember correctly, don't hold me to it, but if I, like I said, if I remember correctly, um, James, after the assassination, he was going to get a payout by all these, like, white supremacists, like, head honchos. Right, so... He was, or he thought he would. Um, he, I guess he thought that was going to happen. I gotcha. Um, I don't, I can't remember if people, these people told him it was going to happen, but either way, he was led to believe that this was going to be his ticket out. His meal ticket. Yeah, he was going to get a payout, and then uh, he was going to go to. I want to say Zimbabwe? I think it was Zimbabwe. Maybe. Because, uh... There was a white leader there. Right. And he was just going to finish off the rest of his days. I mean, either way, it was an African country that he was heading to, correct? Yeah. Okay. I definitely feel like if that was his plan, he was fully delusional. Oh, I mean, clearly he was delusional. He got caught. But my other question is... Do you think that the FBI was behind it in some way? Or do you think that everything they pieced together, they genuinely believed they got it right because it just all made sense to them and they're just like a regular... I just think it was... Authority authority force. Just a little too easy. Like, things were just... So cut and dry. Too perfect for them to find. 
Right. Like, maybe they put it themselves or yeah. someone else did it. See, what I'm asking is, do you think that they set up the evidence themselves and were like, hey, this guy did it, so we have people not looking at us now? Or do you think that someone else set up Ray or planted the evidence for the FBI to find? I feel like it was probably the FBI planting the evidence. We really don't trust our government sometimes. It's okay. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. Don't get me wrong. I'm And before anybody says, oh, they hate being Americans, look how much they distrust their government. No, we don't hate being Americans at all. Like, I'm a proud American. It's just back in that time period, not to say that still to this day crooked things happen in our government. Well, they definitely do. But just back in that time period, it was like a lot. It was so racially and sexually driven. Yeah. Because you had, I mean, women didn't have as much equality as we have now, and we're still fighting for equality to men um you know people of color were fighting for equality it was a very racist and very sexist time is what i'm trying to say worse than it is now yeah so to use lee harvey oswald's phrasing do you think ray was a patsy definitely okay i just want to make that conclusive definitive answers you know that was not good english i'm sorry so who do you guys think it was behind the king the king assassination do you think that ray did it do you think he acted alone who do you think helped him if you think that he was working with a partner please feel free to let us know this week by emailing us at crimeandtheory at gmail.com or dming us at crimeandtheorypod on instagram also if you have any personal stories whether they're conspiracy crime cryptid or paranormal related and want them to be read on a future episode feel free to send them in as well yeah let us know or heck if you just want us to cover a certain topic we are always open to suggestions we have plans for a little while so we might not get to air it for a bit but we'll definitely consider it and look into it and while you're there please give us a follow on insta and we post clues and hints for upcoming episodes if you want to know more about what we're up to of if you want to play the guessing game with everyone else on what we're going to do next week we have a fun time with that yeah we do and also feel free to follow us on facebook at crime and theory pod as well or on twitter at crime and theory and if you want to follow us personally because you like our voices or mostly his voice i prefer his voice no i prefer your voice no look at us getting mushy anyway where can they find you aaron they can find me on instagram at I-A-A-R-O-N underscore J-W-A. And if you want to follow me personally, I still cannot fathom why, but feel free to search for Housewife in Wonderland and click that follow button on Instagram as well. And if you guys liked this episode and want to listen to some more, you can catch up on all of our previous episodes here where you're listening now or wherever you prefer. And as always, a nice little rate and review on iTunes would be honestly the best gift in the world. I know a lot of people are like, hey, you know, follow on Instagram, whatnot. We do that too. But you, I don't think people quite realize how much it helps us podcasters for you, for we podcasters. I don't know. No, us. Us makes sense. Anyway, I don't think a lot of people understand how much it helps us if you give us a five-star review and a nice a five-star rating and a nice review. I cannot speak today, guys. I am sorry. But it helps put us out there and gain more.
more audience members and ultimately helps us build a bigger crime and theory community and that's honestly the goal here and it brings us some joy it does bring us joy reading nice things that you people say but i mean if you don't want to if you hate us please just don't waste your time there are better things to do with your life i promise and i think that's it yeah i'm tired because we had that lunch and i'm just it's nap time or morphin time (laughs) or adventure time either way so stay safe this week guys Stand for peace and equality. Love your neighbor. Because, honestly, that's the only way we're going to get better. Don't get assassinated. Oh, yeah, that too. And as always, don't get haunted. We will see you guys next Thursday with our 13th episode. It's going to be so fun, lighthearted, nowhere near as serious as this one or the previous episode. So get ready for a good time. All right. Bye. Thank you.